All right, if we can make our way to our seats, we're going to get started. We are continuing through this series on the names of God, and uh, uh, what a great, uh, what a great series to walk through. Um, appreciate the the. I don't know if you say that. You appreciate the appreciation. Um, I don't see him, but uh, I want to publicly thank uh, Stephen and what he does here as well. And in leading us in worship, I always appreciate so much uh, just his tender heart towards the body and his love for the Lord. And it's encouraging to me, and I I just want to say thank you to him for that and um, uh, just really appreciate what he does here. So Genesis chapter 22 is literally one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And I know I say that a lot, but this time I really, really mean it. Um, Genesis chapter 22. So if you have your copy of God's Word, let's go ahead and turn there, and uh, we'll read this together. And so once you get there, if you would stand with me, and we'll read Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. 1 through 14. So... Starting at verse 1, Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar. On top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is to this day. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the powerful truth that it contains, life-transforming truth. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts, that you would uh, reach deep into our soul. And convict us where we need conviction. Encourage us where we need encouragement. So Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in what's said. And that you would be the one who receives all praise. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I love this passage, and I feel like I'm not sure I can do it justice, um, but we're going to try, and I'm going to just jump right to the point, uh, which is the name. You know, we talk about this being a series on the names of God, so where is the name here? What is the name of God? And it goes all the way to the very last verse we, we read, verse 14, it says, So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, or on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The name of God here, in the original Hebrew, is Yahweh or Jehovah or Jehovah, however you want to pronounce it, Jireh. Okay? And it simply means the Lord will provide. Okay? So as we look at this passage, we, we look at this text, and this text uh, is, is this incredible story, and we're going to walk through the context of the name. Then I want us to understand the character of the name, and finally I want us to understand the calling of this name, and what is the implications, and how does it uh, apply to us. And, and uh, I think that as we hear the name, the Lord will provide, and we always talk about it, the Lord is my provider, and, and what an encouraging thing. You know, I think sometimes people love this name um, because of our sinful nature. Right? Because it's about me. And so we love a name of God that says, the Lord's going to give me. And there's something so much greater and deeper, and I'm not trying to belittle that, and we're going to actually talk a little bit about that later on, but there is some importance to that that the Lord will provide. And so we're going to walk through that, but uh, I want us to start with the context of this name here. Um, we're going to walk through the story a little bit and, and kind of walk through the scene and, and, and see where uh, Abraham comes from and that he calls the name of the place. And, and, and when we talk about the name of the place, it's, it's a memorial um, because you might see this and say, well, that's the name of the place. It's not the name of God. It's a memorial of God. And it's how Abraham would forever remember an aspect of God. They that know thy name, Psalm was it 9, 8? I forget the reverence. It's terrible because that was our first one. They that know thy name put their trust in you because you have not forsaken those who seek you. That's our theme here as we walk through this. So as we understand what Abraham understood through the lens of what Abraham saw, through the lens of what happens in this story, we will see that when we believe that God is Jehovah Jireh, we can trust him. So, let's walk through the story, the context. The first thing we see here is the timing, right? Uh, after these things, after these things, everything up until this point in this story, up until Genesis 22, plays an important role in the aspect of Abraham. It is preparation. You know, oftentimes we look at the story of Abraham, we, we look at him as the father, the foundation of the faith of the, the Jewish nation and what becomes later the Christian nation as the Gentiles are brought in and as, as we see that the, the incredible promises. But what are these things? Because let me tell you something. Everything up until Genesis 22 has been a studying ground, has been a proving ground, has been a preparation for this one final moment. Abraham has been in the classroom of faith, and he comes to the finals. 
So what are these things? These things start with the call, right? Abraham was in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he's with his father and his family, and and the, the Lord speaks to him. Jehovah, Yahweh, calls out to him and says, Abraham, get you up out of the land of the Ur of Chaldea and go to a place where I'm calling you. That takes faith. That takes courage. And he said, okay, I'm going. And then we read the weakness of Abraham's faith when we see the testing in Egypt when there's a famine. He flees to Egypt. And what does he do there? He's got this beautiful bride and and he gets to Egypt and he says, hey, Sarah, whenever somebody sees you, tell them you're my my sister. Don't tell them the truth. And and so we see this weakness, which is just an utter uh, 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 thing that blows our mind that Abraham was called by God and he doesn't have faith to believe that God will protect him. And so he's growing, and and what a picture of our lives as believers that as we walk through this life of faith, we grow and deepen in our relationship with the Lord. And and so then uh, uh, we, we go through this scenario in Egypt, and the Lord rescues him in the midst of his sin and his failure to protect and provide, and, and he... Uh, is with Lot, and there's this division, this is infighting, and Lot and Abraham say, we've got to split, and, and by the way, Lot, I'm going to let you pick where you want to go. So you see some maturing in Abraham where he's saying, you know what? The Lord has promised me. I'm going to let Lot go make his decision. And then you have this incredible promise that comes out, the promised son that God, after this incident where Abraham starts to prove his faith, and and Abraham has this incredible mountaintop experience where the Lord comes to him and he says, Abraham, I'm going to promise you this, that I will bless the nations through you, that your children will be as numerous as the stars and the sand on the sea. And Abraham's like, I don't have any children, and I'm getting older. And, and God says, no, no, I'm going to provide, and I'm going to bless. An incredible moment, an incredible promise that we know comes to us eventually. And Abraham waits, and you see again a weakening of his faith. He says, well, where, where, when, when? And so he comes up with a scheme, right, with Ishmael. And he says, you know what? I bet I need to help God with this promise. Uh, we've got this, uh, this, um, this slave uh, woman um, that I will, uh, I will uh, work the promise out through her. And so he has Ishmael. And God says, no, 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 no. I promised you a son, and I'm going to give you one. Not this way. And then he has... Again, a failure, a same failure with Abimelech where he goes there and he's afraid and he's been promised. And so all these things keep building up and so finally it culminates with, with him sending off Ishmael and he, he's got his only begotten son, his, his, his son Isaac, and, and he sends Ishmael away. And so all these things are a culmination of building and a proving ground and suddenly we come to this moment after all of that. That's the context here. After all of that, it says God tested Abraham. I don't know about you, but I'm reading this and I'm like, hasn't God been testing Abraham the whole time? But he comes to this moment, and and it's the finals of his faith. It's the proving ground. And listen to this challenge. And I want us to understand, this is why I love this passage so much, the deep richness of the words used in this passage. You can skim through it and miss so much. And I I need to make sure I keep moving because the second point is so incredibly powerful to me. 
It says that God tested Abraham, and here's what he says. He says, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. I can see this going down, right? Hey, Abraham, yeah, yeah, I'm here, God. I've been here. I've been trying to do all these things that you've been asking me to do. He goes, I got a test for you. Oh, sure, I'm ready, but whatever you say. Uh, Take your son and go offer him as a sacrifice. Uh, I think there's a disconnect in our connection here. Uh, maybe I've lost some signal. Did you say my son? Take him. Offer him as a sacrifice. Just an incredible thing. We read this and it doesn't even register on our minds how incredibly intense this would have been. Notice what he says. He says, take Take what? Your son. And it's almost like he's prodding the knife in as hard as he can. And he's twisting. He says, take your son. Oh, by the way, your only son. And on top of that, the one you deeply love. Don't just give me the secondhand offer. Don't just offer to me the the connived and conceived son through a scheme, Ishmael, but give me the one whom you love, whom you have waited for, whom you have been promised, and whom you uh, uh, received through a miraculous means, the one that you deeply and desperately love, whom I have promised to you, and give that to me. And then he says, not just that, but he says, go, go. And he says, go to a place I will tell you. Not to a place that I'm telling you right now, but just take him and go, and I will tell you when you get there. I don't know about you, but I like to know where I'm going before I go. First thing I do when I'm going on a trip is I pull out my phone and I punch in the direction of, or the, the address, and I've got a GPS. You know, long gone are the days of writing down and pulling out those old maps. I don't know if any of you have those maps, but uh, I, I think we might still have one somewhere. We probably could show it to our kids, and they'd be like, what is this? But I like to know where I'm going, and here's what God says. Take your lovely son, whom you love with all of your heart, the one that I have promised and you have waited for. Take him, offer him as a sacrifice, and go. Just go. I'll tell you where. And then notice what he says. He says what he's supposed to do with him. Offer him as a burnt offering. Brothers and sisters, do you understand what that means? A burnt offering is one that is completely, entirely burned. No remaining parts. I've been walking through 1 Kings, and Steph and I have had this conversation recently. You want to you wanna be feel a little squirmish, read through 1 and 2 Kings. And I'm not going to go deep into this, but I've been sitting here as I walk through 1 and 2 Kings, and I'm like, God, this is gruesome stuff. How could you, you know, because I just read through, uh, and I'm not going to talk about it because I don't even know if I could preach on it. Jehu is asked to be the executioner of Jezebel and and all of Ahab's descendants. And and at the very end of the chapter, it says, this is the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord determined. This was his heart to have these people mercilessly executed. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like the God of Romans 5.8 that says, but while we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us, that he died for us while we were his enemies. And I'm trying to reconcile these things in my mind, and I read a passage like this where God says, and I can imagine Abraham and the questions that must have come up when God says, take your only son whom you love dearly, go to a place where I will tell you, and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. 
It doesn't jive very well for me with a loving, merciful God. But I don't believe it's a contradiction. And we'll walk through that. So there's the test, and it says that God tested Abraham, and He told him the test. And I want you to notice the response of Abraham. What does it say? God tells him all this, and I don't see anywhere where Abraham says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What does it say? Verse 3, it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. His faith had matured to this point. And brothers and sisters, if we could mature to a place of faith and hope of Abraham, that when God asks us to give our most prized possession, we would not hesitate, we would not delay, but we would go early in the morning and do it. Notice the trip. It says he rose early. No delay. No questioning. What does he do? He gets up and he preps everything. He gets the donkey ready. He gets his two young men with him. He takes his son. He cuts the wood. He, he prepares. He grabs a knife. He grabs the fire because they would have had to have taken it with them. They didn't have a Bic lighter or matches to just kind of get this thing started. Can you imagine what that would have been like? And then it says he left. He went. That's the trip. But can you imagine the turmoil in that trip? Consider that. The whole scene. Note some things that you may miss in the story. It says in verse 4, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. He's traveling for three days to go kill his son on a place where he didn't know he was going. Can you imagine the inner turmoil a father would have? Can you imagine, do you think he slept very well those nights when they paused by the road waiting for sun to rise so they could start their second day of the journey and sleep again and then rise a third day to continue that journey? And then notice what it says. It says, and on the third day, he saw the place from afar. You know, when you're traveling somewhere and you're excited to get there. You know, when we took our kids to, to Florida a, a couple of years ago, they were like, are we there yet? And we were like in Indianapolis. But you're looking forward to it. And then when you can finally see, you see that green sign that says Florida and you're a mile away, but you can still see it, which would be incredible, really. You'd have like eagle vision. Okay, so like a half a mile, whatever it is. You see it from afar and you're like, we're almost there. Can you imagine the dread of Abraham? The journey's almost over and he sees the mountain that he's supposed to go and kill his son. And each step is a step closer to the act that he would have to commit. And each step was a step closer to the end of the life of his son. Can you imagine the turmoil and the dread? And yet I find it amazing that it says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, what does he say? Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship God just asked him to kill his son for him, and he says, I'm going to go and worship. How many of us, when God asks us, hey, by the way, that thing you love, I want you to give it up for me. 
How many of us, our first response is, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it, and in the midst of it, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to worship. And then the incredible hope he has, because he says to these men, he says, we're going to go over there and worship, and we are going to come back again. I'm going to go kill my son, and we're going to worship God in the midst of it, and I don't know how. In fact, in Hebrews, we get a little glimpse of it that it says that, that Abraham believed in his faith, in his hope of hopes, that God would raise him from the dead. And he said, I'm going to go over there, I'm going to kill my son, God's going to probably raise him from the dead, because God promised, and I now believe the promise of God, that he is going to bless the world through my offspring. I'm going to go over there, worship him, and when I come back, when we come back, we will return. I mean, you get in a gravity of the turmoil and the, the, the whole midst of this, and, and not only that, but the awkward conversation that now happens, right? As they start to trudge up the mountain, the wood is put on the shoulders of Isaac, and Isaac, you know, he's been silent. We don't hear anything from Isaac this whole time, and then all of a sudden... Isaac pops up, and, and you know the dread in Abraham's mind as he hears Isaac's voice start to come up. Because you know what Isaac's going to ask? So I've got the wood, I see the fire, I see the knife. Where's the sacrifice? Can you imagine the breaking of Abraham's heart at that moment? What am I going to tell my son? And what an incredible promise, Abraham says. He says, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And I want you to notice something here that you can easily miss. So in verse 6 at the very end, they've left the two men and it says, so they went up both of them together. You have this back and forth between Isaac and his father. And then it, what does it conclude with in verse 8? So they went, both of them, together. There's a repetition because in the Hebrew idioms here, we have this understanding that Isaac knew what was going on and he went willingly. So they went, both of them, together. They get there. Verse 9, they came to the place of which God had told them. Abraham quickly assembles the altar. He lays the wood down in order and he binds Isaac, his son. He picks him up. He lays him down on the altar on top of the wood and he reaches out his hand, took the knife, and it wasn't until he brought it down to slaughter his son that God said, Abraham, stop. I know now your heart. You pass the test. Pass the test. And it's amazing here. We know because God knows the heart and we see the wording, Abraham intended to kill his son. He wasn't pretending. He wasn't doing it for show. He was going to kill his son because God knew his heart. The angel stops him, the angel of the Lord, and we get this incredible Incredible solution, right? 
He says, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead. It is such an important word. Instead of his son. And that's where Abraham looks at the place and he worships God and he says, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jireh, the Lord will provide. What an incredible thing when we look at the context of this story and we walk through it and we try to understand and grasp, okay, why was Abraham so incredibly uh, uh, worshiping God at that moment that he looked at the place and he said, for now on, this is a memorial to me because he had given up his most prized possession, his only son, and he was willingly offering it. And God said, no, 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 no. Instead, I will provide. It's an incredible story. But what does it tell us about God? And this is the character of the name that I want us to understand. What does it tell us about God? Not just that He provides, because that is a simple, comprehensive thing. Yes, God provides. We know that. But there is something so much more rich and deep of why Genesis 22 is such an incredible passage. It is, first of all, a perspective that we should look at. This perspective is of what it costs God to offer Jesus to us. You know, we, we can read passages like Psalm 69 or Isaiah 53 or, or even uh, Psalm 22 and we, we read them and we see the perspective of what Jesus went through dying on the cross for us. We read through the gospel accounts of the crucifixion and our heart breaks as we realize what Jesus went through and, and we can read deeply in there. But Genesis 22 gives us a glimpse into what God the Father went through the moment His Son was crucified for us. And it's an incredible passage. We typically don't consider what it meant to God. We, we look at it from Jesus' perspective. We look at it from our perspective. We rejoice in that as we should. But to look at this passage and put yourself in Abraham's shoes, there is a parallel here that is beyond mind-blowing. Notice it. As you watch Isaac make his way up Mount Moriah, you can see Jesus winding his way up to Mount Calvary, with an instrument of death upon his back. He wound his way up the parallel slopes in the same mountain chain. Did you realize that? Mount Moriah is the same chain of mountains of Mount Calvary. This was a dress rehearsal. Notice what it says, the place. How that place must have haunted Abraham. Do you notice the text? It says, on the third day, he rose and saw the place in the morning. And he went to the place. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place. And they came to the place. There's an echoing sound, the place. It's an echo that's recorded in Luke chapter 23, verse 33, when it says that when they came to the place, there they crucified Jesus at Golgotha. The place, the place. 
Then at last, he and Isaac come to a point beyond which others could go. Did they not? They, as they made their way to, to that moment of sacrifice, Abraham turns to his two servants and he says, you cannot go any further, but I must go on with my son. And it's an echoing sound of Jesus as he turns to Peter and James and John and he said, you guys stay here and pray a little farther. I'm going on with the Father. And at Gethsemane, he pours out his heart. Can you imagine the, the, the thoughts that would have gone through God the Father just like Abraham as he hears his son say, well, here's the fire, here's the knife, where's the sacrifice? And as Jesus with blood, sweat pouring down from his face, he looks to his father and he says, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. Can you imagine the heartbreak of God the Father who said, this is my son, my only son whom I love. And what does God do? He gives no answer but points to the cross. And just like Isaac, Jesus willingly goes. We think of what Gethsemane meant to Jesus, but what did it mean to the Father? And they both of them together went. The full weight of the wood felt by Isaac, a weight placed on him by others, a cross upon which he would be sacrificed. Reality hits, wood, fire, knife, where is the sacrifice? The repetition of the statement shows the willingness and finally the act of the sacrifice. There is a commentary that I absolutely love. I, I fell in love with it when I was in college. I was given a text, John Phillips wrote a commentary called Knowing Genesis, and the reason I fell in love with it was his commentary on Genesis 22. And I just want to read a portion of it because it's so hefty. He says, can we not feel what Abraham felt? Can we not enter into the anguish that rent his soul? Can we not understand how much he shrank from the deed ahead? Can we not see how leaden were his feet as he dragged them toward the brow of the hill. Can we not catch the secret glance he stole at his son, his only son, his beloved, his only Isaac? Can we not hear the inward groan as he sobbed in his soul? Oh, my son Isaac, my son, my son Isaac, would God I could die for thee. Oh, Isaac, my son, my son. Can we not feel what God the Father felt in dark Gethsemane? My Father, here I am, my Son. Behold the cup. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The only answer the Father could give was to point to the cross. The lamb couldn't be found. No lamb could be found for his Son. So they went, both of them, together. Out of the stillness of the garden, they went into the arms of the mob on the mock trials before the priest, the procurator, the Herodian prince, and the spitting, the scourging, the scorn. On out to the morning sun, the Lord Jesus staggering beneath the weight of the wood and the even greater world, weight of the world's sin. And as his father watched, then up on a hill onto the place, both of them together. Was there ever such a dark, tragic work performed beneath the wide vault of heaven? In all the ages of time or all the annals of eternity? 
God saw his son led like a lamb to the slaughter, laid out upon the wood, and spikes driven home. God watched the whole dark, dreadful business on Golgotha's hill. Then God himself took the knife, and of his fierce wrath against sin, he lifted it as the darkness swept in, and he wreaked havoc on his son, the eternal hell our sins deserved. That was the work of the cross. The work enacted in type by Abraham on that lonely mountain in the land of Moriah and enacted in fact at Calvary. The character of this name gives us a glimpse, not just that He provides, but that He is our provision. We look at provision and we say, what is the Lord going to give me? The reality is He has. And I love how the King James says it a little bit better. It says, when Abraham is asked, where is the lamb? He says, the Lord will provide Himself a sacrifice. That He is our provision. Over and over again, He has provided, brothers and sisters. Mark thir- or Revelations 13.8 says that He was slain before the foundations of the world were laid. Mark 10.45, For even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. 1 John 2.2, He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He has provided Himself a lamb. That's the character of this name, that He is our provision. And there is a principle I want you to understand, I want you to grab hold of, and I want you to never let go of it. He has withheld nothing from us. Paul boldly declared in Romans 8.32, if he has not withheld his own son, how much more will he give? He went through this. We get a picture of what he went through and we can understand and we can grab hold of it that he has withheld nothing because he doesn't even withhold his own son. And the, the, the heartache, he thought of one thing. He thought of his portion, his people that he wanted to redeem and claim for his own. And so Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.3, he has given us everything for life and godly. And I want to leave us with this, the call of this name. What does it mean for us? The the name Jehovah Jireh is not just simply a magic genie in a lamp where we rub it and he comes out and he says, what do you want? But it's so much deeper than that. And I want us to see something here because so many times we sit here and we say, well, I believe the Lord will provide. I believe the Lord will provide. But when is my provision coming? And I want you to notice what Abraham did here, because it's really incredible. Because Abraham took action, starting at verse 13. It says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, offered up as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
Five actions that Abraham takes that we must take when it comes to the Lord's provision. Number one, lift up your eyes. We say, when will the Lord provide? When will the Lord provide? I need the Lord's provision. When is the Lord going to provide? Guess what he has provided? Lift up your eyes. We get so distracted and distraught in the suffering and the sorrows that we're in. The psalmist says, from where will my help come? I will lift up my eyes, for my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We get so distraught and discouraged looking at the impossible circumstances. And we could sit here and we could say, oh, where am I going to get this? Imagine if Abraham would have said, well, I still got to offer a sacrifice. But, oh, Isaac, Isaac, I guess I got to sacrifice. You know, he lifted up his eyes from the circumstances. Brothers and sisters, we get so distraught and discouraged. Lift up your eyes. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. The Lord has provided. Can we believe that? That's part of this promise. He has already done so. Then it says he looked. You got to look for the provision he has made. Oftentimes it's sitting right in front of you, smacking you in the face. And we sit here and say, if only the Lord would provide, if only the Lord would provide. And it's right there. People ask me all the time, what is a calling in life? A calling is seeing a need and meeting it. I have people that sometimes come to me and say, you know what would be great for the church? If we had this ministry of providing blankets to the poor. If God would just provide for that ministry, he has, it's you. God put it on your heart because he has called you to it. But we sit here and we say, but if only God would provide laborers, if only God, he says, look, the harvest is plentiful. It's there. I have provided But it's not just a matter of looking and seeing. It says that Abraham went. Go, get up. We get caught up in waiting for the provision. He's provided. Take. He took it. Grab it. Use it. And last and most important of all, it says that he offered it. Five verbs. Because when the Lord provides, his intent is to bring glory to his name. And so what He provides, He intends for us to offer to Him as a sacrifice for His glory and His gain and His good. Are you broken? Hurting? In need? The answer I can answer it for you is yes. There isn't a single person in this room that isn't broken, beaten, hurting, and in need. You know how I know that? Because you're a human just like me, born in sin, and suffering. Understand this. He will provide is equivalent to He has provided. And what has He provided? Himself. We need no other provision. I'm not saying that to say that anything else that we might need isn't important, but the reality is Anything we think we need above Jesus isn't true. He has provided Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. When we look at this passage, it should cause us to think forward. Because here we have, and and it's an amazing story, and we get a glimpse of, of some of it when Jesus is before the Pharisees, and they're questioning Him, and He's saying these incredible things, and He finally says, 
uh, they say to him, you know, we have Abraham as our father. And he says this incredible thing. He says, I know Abraham and you are not his children. In fact, Abraham saw my day coming and he looked forward to it. And we don't know what God told Abraham in the midst of this, but I imagine he told him something of Jesus' coming. And Abraham, in his soul, rejoiced because he knew the sin of the world and that the true Lamb of God was coming instead. Provision. Understand, if you are broken and hurting and in need, He withholds nothing from you. Please know what you mean to God, that you are His portion and His prize. He didn't withhold His own Son, His only begotten Son, whom He loved. Third, do you believe that you can ask of Him? I want to read through some, some passages to overwhelm you just a tiny bit. John 14, 13 through 14. Whatever you ask, this I will do. If you ask me anything, I will do it. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask, it will be given to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done. Matthew 21, 22. And whatever you ask, you will receive. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask, believe, and it will be yours. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you so that, and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father, He may give it to you. John 16, 23 through 24. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Verse 24. Until you have asked until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. 1 John 3.22 And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. 1 John 5.14-15 And this is the confidence we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. In James 4, 3, why don't we receive? Because we don't ask, or when we do, we ask wrongly. Now, I'm not saying this is prosperity gospel, that we can start asking for Ferraris and Lamborghinis. But I'm saying this, can we believe that He's telling us to ask and Jehovah Jireh provides? Can we read Scripture and believe it? And you will sit here and say, but I asked for this and it didn't happen. Steph and I talked about this even last night as we were driving home from the marriage retreat. We were saying, you know, for years my children have asked for a baby brother. For years we have prayed for a third child and it didn't happen. And I said, well, maybe it will. We can have one of those, what do they call them, geriatric pregnancies? I don't know, but I know who provides. And if we ask, He provides. 
It may not always look like what we ask for. But he makes it clear, brothers and sisters. Ask me. Ask me. Understand he is for you when we know that we talk about Jehovah Jireh. I mentioned earlier this, this gruesome picture of walking through First and Second Kings, and I was talking again with Steph about this a while ago, and I said, this doesn't make sense to me. And she came up with this passage she had just read that was incredible. In Lamentations 3, starting at verse 31, if I can find it here, it says, For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. It is not God's intent that you should suffer and be punished. His heart is for you. One of my other favorite passages is Isaiah chapter 40. And I love the response of God in speaking to Isaiah when, when the nation of Israel has a time where it needs great comfort, when it is suffering, when it is in despair, when it is in trial and, and, and doesn't understand. They say, where is God? Where is God? And here is the response of God. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My words are hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint nor grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like eagles' wings. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. He is for us. He has provided. And the provision is himself. I pray that if you walk in here this morning in despair and discouragement, in need, that you'll walk out with a God who says, I am your provision. And you will know that he has not left you forsaken. It is not his intent to inflict and to grieve the children of men. But his steadfast love is renewed every morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who has provided himself a lamb. That John would declare Behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, I pray that as we walk in this life facing grief and sorrow and despair, facing need, we would remember, we would remember that you offered your Son instead. Without blemish, perfect and holy and righteous. That you wreaked havoc and you brought down the knife upon your son on our behalf lord i pray that our hearts would be refreshed and reminded of the gospel that jesus christ has died for us 
instead of us. And that all who would believe might receive that eternal hope of glory. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that today would be the day. And Lord, I pray for those who are hurting and sick and in need and in desperation, that we would come before you this morning, that we would cry out, Jehovah Jireh. And Lord, may we have our eyes opened to see your provision, that we might worship you and give you glory, honor, and praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.